Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a USB stick, and I love film. As Banksy famously once said, Art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Have you watched Titane yet? So wild, man. I found it really comforting. I watched it to go to sleep at night. Oh, that's interesting, Banksy. says a lot about you. Every week, I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Kevin Smith, Sharon Stone, Jamila Jamil, and even Cled Plambles. But this week, it's the brilliant writer, actor, and comedian, Mr. Daniel Rigby. Announcement! I'll be doing a huge live films to be buried with. A huge live, huge live films to be buried with at Southbank Centre on Saturday, 12th of February. Come along, bring a date, two days before Valentine's. What could be sexier? A live films to be buried with. We'll all be there. We can even do a Q&A at the end. Tickets are going fast and are available at southbankcentre.co.uk and plosive.co.uk. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. You get an extra 20 minutes of chat with Daniel. We go deep, talk about beginnings and endings. You get a very impressive secret and the whole episode uncut ad-free as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Also, enjoy Ted Lasso seasons one and two on Apple TV Plus and Superbob and Soulmates on Amazon Prime. So, Daniel Rigby. Daniel Rigby is a BAFTA-winning actor, writer and stand-up who has written and performed a new book for Audible, which is available now. We recorded this the other day on Zoom. It was so great to see him. Hadn't seen him in a while. We started out in comedy together. It's fucking brilliant. I think you're really going to love this one. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 182 of Films to be Buried With. Oh, one thing to note maybe needs to be added in, which is... The sound may not be the best it's ever been on this episode. We had some problems with the mics. Buddy Peace, the genius producer, has done everything he can to fix it. Hopefully it'll be fine. If it's not fine, content's really good. Please do your best to cope with it. Thanks for understanding. All right, lots of love. Okay, bye-bye, 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 bye-bye. And welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by a writer, a comedian, a sketch comedian, a stand-up comedian, an award winner, a BAFTA winner, a actor, 
a stage actor, a one man of the two governors, a Alan Turing, a man who's done all the parts you could imagine. Name a play, think of your favourite part in it. Yeah, that was him. Please welcome to the show. He's in everything you love. He's a man I love. He's a man you'll love. It's the wonderful, <laughs> it's the amazing, it's Mr Daniel Rigby! Wow. What do you want from me? Wowee. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's lovely good. to see you. Uh, you. I'm For the listener, I've known Daniel Rigby Oh, a long time now. Long, long time. 14 years? Started out together on the circuit. You won uh, Laughing Horse New Act Comedian of the Year, I believe. Yeah, 2007. Never looked back? Never looked back. Played <laughs> <laughs> junglers every week since. Yeah, man. Here's my first question for you. You're a brilliant stand-up and um, you never do it. I know. Thoughts? You know what? That's probably one of the things that bugs me the most about my entire life, which uh, probably says something about the extraordinary privilege I live in. But um, it's, uh, yeah, because I did love doing it, but I, you know, yeah, I think it's just fear. I was always a really nervous performer and um, it always meant, because it feels like the whole, the whole acting career has been a byproduct of a love of comedy and wanting to be a comedian, which was all I ever wanted to do when I was a kid. I was obsessed with it and being a stand-up was everything I ever wanted. And the fact that it is and still feels central and core to my being, I think is part of the reason, perversely, why I've never done it. <laughs> Uh, recently because it just feels so important you know when something feels so it it gives me such fear thinking about you know and when when I was doing it it, most of the time it would go cracking and I really enjoyed it and loved doing the shows when I was in the swing of it but I would get insanely nervous and I think when whenever I have an I'm also I think a lazy person and I think whenever I've had half an excuse not to do something I'll just take it so I've just not, you know, and, and acting, I was doing a lot of gigs um, when I was rehearsing for One Man, Two Governors, and then that went on for like 18 months. So there was always an excuse yeah. to not do a gig, got out of the swing of it. And then the fear and the idea of it just grew and grew until now. It's this, it's a real, yeah, it's, it is something, I, it's a real neurosis. It keeps me up at night, actually. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I brought that up first thing just to settle you into yeah. this. <laughs> Straight out the blocks with, uh, yeah, the horror. Straight out the blocks with, what's your fucking deepest fear? Uh, <laughs> no, but it's interesting because I get nervous for every gig. It doesn't, it hasn't changed. I don't think it's got, and maybe a bit less, but I also have started to go, oh, this is part of it. Like, this is just, this is this adrenaline is what you need to do the gig. Like, you just have to, and actually it'd be weird if you weren't nervous doing it. Yeah. Does it feel the same then? It feels the same level now as it always has. Mm, no, that is a lie. It used to be all day before a gig, the fear would start. Whereas now, yeah. I guess it's often, it's shorter and shorter. It might be five minutes before or an hour before. I used to get a very intense um, physical feeling that I was going to run away before a gig. Right. Like physical, like I would get itchy feet and think think of my exit routes and how a physical escape was possible from from the situation did you ever um, do it did you ever run out for a gig no i had there was one gig where just before i went on stage i rang my girlfriend at the time and she had to just talk me down from you know saying you've made a commitment you've 
you've promised to do half an hour. You <laughs> you have to do you have to do your gig. They're going to pay you. You've got to do this. That was the worst it was. When you were when you were doing um, Edinburgh Festival, where it's like you know a show every single night. Did it get any easier that, over that month? Yeah, it did. And I think there's something about. I, I feel like most most things are more scary in the abstract than they are in the doing of them. I feel the same way about writing and mm. um, like the idea of writing a book or a screenplay is, is this thing that you can, you can let fear stop you from doing those things. It can really block you, but actually doing the thing is always less painful than you imagine it to be. And even dying on stage, which, you know, happened a couple of times, it, it was kind of strangely liberating. It always felt a bit like, <laughs> Well, I'm not actually physically dying. There's no, there's no blood. It's a sort of psychological death. Sure, yeah. it's like living in a worst nightmare. Okay, but <laughs> it's, I'm not physically dying. Yeah. And there's a weird freedom in it. Where I remember one where I was doing a gig for some bankers, and like it was, it was one of those gigs where there's food, which is always a bit deathly, yeah. where everyone's eating, yeah. everyone's working in finance, and it was in the city. And I just started clambering over I think there was like a grand piano and then like just this big staircase with like a big wooden banister thing I just started climbing up the walls almost to the ceiling it was going so badly even that wasn't getting any response it was just a man <laughs> watching a man clambering around <laughs> and I thought I, was, I had a I had a great time that's great that's really great it's okay dying if you've got a friend there I think and you can make them laugh at the back of the room like fuck it yeah. hell, this is bad Um, did a serious question I know with all due respect to Laughing Horse it's not you know the biggest award in the world but I I have a theory on awards you did win an award for comedy in like your first year right first second Mm -hmm. year of comedy and I actually think that that puts a pressure on a comedian that isn't great it puts pressure on an audience as well because I think if you're introduced on stages this is the best new act, winner of the best new act, that the audience watches you differently, that the audience goes, oh, well, this better be fucking great. And also, if they don't like you, if you're not to their their cup of tea, that they're going, how is this the best new act? Do you know what I mean? Like it, it changes the dynamic in a way that isn't helpful. Did that happen to you? Yeah, I think it did happen slightly. One of the things that happened was that you get bumped up in terms of where you are on the bill. Mm. It meant I bumped up maybe before I was ready. So Laughing Horse were then who booked loads of gigs uh, around London, which were really convenient. Were then I was then headlining gigs within like a year of, you know, I only started doing stand-up the year before. Right. And I was doing stuff way before I was ready, basically. I, I didn't know about, you know, how important it was to do all your time on stage, stuff like that. I didn't know. I, I was, I'd sort of got this set that I was happy with and clung onto it for dear life and didn't write new material for ages. Just thinking, well, this is, you know, this is fine. That, that stuff that you kind of learn. I, I do wish someone had told me a bit more about that, but yeah, there was an, there was an element of uh, a little bit of an element of running before you could walk. I remember your set very well. Sainsbury's taste the suffering. And uh, <laughs> music on bricks and tube. Wonderful. <laughs> That's a good memory, mate. That is a good memory. I think every time I get on the tube. Uh, <laughs> what about when you when you were saying, you know, you get stuck with writing 
that that gives you the fear and then when you do it it's not do you have a trick that you do to if you're in that state where you're like i'm never going to do this what gets you to do it i don't really have a trick i don't have a trick give us a trick (laughs) i haven't got a trick i mean i've i've got i just no i've literally spent i just i'm just thinking of writing the audiobook for audible which i did last year redrafted and finished last year that was in the first lockdown and there was no trick there was just literally st- like just sometimes just strapping in and staring into the abyss yeah not being able to do it and just staring into the vortex well can you apply that to stand up <laughs> <laughs> yeah just walk on stage and <laughs> the trick is always just doing it i mean that it's not yeah. a trick it's just starting it is always for me, anyway, things start to happen if you just do it. Or, or I've, I've at least found that on the whole. So it's not getting, trying not to get too caught up in the the head and and just doing it. I did a gig, like a random stand-up gig with Ashling B in LA, actually. That was the last oh, time yeah. I did stand-up. About like four years ago? No, five years ago. Oh, God, no, it's COVID as well. You've got to count COVID, haven't you, as, as years. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's about six years, <laughs> six or seven years ago. And uh, that was the last time I did stand up, wow. and it was this weird gig that was like um, it was billed as like British and Irish night. That was like one half of the show, and then the other half it was at UCB on Sunset Boulevard. Was I there? I think I. Oh, I did one of those gigs. I did one of her Brits in LA gigs. Maybe not yeah, that one. I don't think you were there. I'd remembered if yeah. you were there. Yeah, I think this was, must have been another night. Was it? Because the other half of it was an improvised musical about a Sizzlers restaurant. Oh no, I definitely wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> which was which was like a it was Scissors restaurant mixed with Les Miserables. That was like the improv yeah. exercise. <laughs> and I think it was called Les Sizzlabra. That might be just me making that up. <laughs> and it went really well. And I thought, oh great, I'll, I'll just do this again. And then got back to the UK and was like, oh, but I've got to do this thing and all the usual bollocks. But yeah, I well, should do it, mate. Should do it. Thanks. I'll, I'll do it. Okay, good. That's all I want. That's all I want. <laughs> Now, you've written a book? You've written an Audible book? Yeah. I don't know whether you can call it a book. It's weird. I sort of, yeah, I think I've it? technically just written a load of noise for Audible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that's a thing. Um, what is it? And why? Well, it's, explain yourself. Well, it is a book. It's written as a book. And then uh, mm. I've narrated it on Audible, but it's only available exclusively on Audible as uh, part of Audible Plus. How did it come about? It was a commission that came out of, they put the, They'd asked people for submissions which which met a certain amount of criteria. And I'd had this idea knocking about that just happened to meet most of them, which was a sci-fi comedy, misanthropic detective, uh, kind of a blade runner, like piss take, really. But also trying to be but trying to trying to be its own thing. And uh it just met it just met a bunch of things that they were they were looking for cross-genre stuff and stuff that could be a series and they were looking for comedy and so it just sort of met a bunch of that uh, criteria. So that's how it came about. Brilliant. And you and you and you recorded it all, done it all, do it all. Recorded it all. Right. Done the it music, all. Yeah. Sang the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just me singing in the background throughout the whole thing, which they they were very resistant to at first, but <laughs> I won them round in the end. No, it's that's, uh, that's great. It's great. The production, the the people who actually did the production of it, they've done a real whistles and bells job on the it's it's not quite a radio play. They've called it an enhanced audio book, but they've added like, because there's lots of robots and aliens and mutants and 
there's lots of stupid shit in it and they've just done voices and voice effects and sound effects and it's a real Ooh. like great soundscape so it's exciting what's it called isaac Steele and the forever man love it love it daniel rigby mm. uh shit i've forgotten to tell you something fuck i just i just looked at my notes and i was like fuck it out i can't believe i didn't tell you that up top <laughs> I'd made a note before we logged out and I was like, definitely tell him this first because he'll need to process mm. it. But I didn't because we got distracted by standing. I was excited to see you, etc. But yeah, I'll, I'll just read you what it says um, here. Uh, you've died. You're dead. I knew I felt weird. <laughs> relieved? Felt relieved. I knew I felt relieved. <laughs> I knew I finally felt at peace. That's what that uh, was. How did you die? Well, this is what I think has happened. It's all a bit fuzzy. Early this year, I moved in with a terrific person called myself. And it's the first time I've lived on my own. Um, and um, I, the first morning I was here, you know, new place on my own, feeling quite pleased with myself, bleary-eyed in socks and, and um, pyjamas. You don't need to know everything that I was wearing. Yeah, yeah. But I, I slipped on, there's like three steps down to my bathroom and I slipped on the first step. It's the first morning I'm here. And, uh, you know, when you just, you you lose, you, your body weight isn't your own anymore. It's like, you, you've, and I hadn't fallen over like that since I was a kid. And I thought in the, in, in the half a second it took for me to hit the floor, I grabbed the banister that was by the um, mm. stairs. It ripped out the wall. And this really happened, by the way. This isn't how I died. This really happened. And um, it sort of exploded part of the wall. So I was lay there within a few seconds, like in a, a lot of pain on my own. First night in a new flat. I've destroyed a wall. I'm holding the banister. I'm covered in plaster dust. And I thought, maybe I'm not ready to live on my own. <laughs> so what I think oh is going to happen to me is I'm cooking a lot of veggie chili at the moment. It's going to be some weird domestic accident where they don't find me for days and I'm going to fall awkwardly in my kitchen and suffocate on a, on a pan of chili. Oh my God. Yeah. Weird, like Darwin award kitchen. And, accident. and no one comes looking at you because you just did that tweet going, finally living alone, feel really great about it. So everyone doesn't <laughs> just cause he's happy. No one check on yeah. Daniel for ages. They're just giving me my space. And they're going, he smells the smell from his kitchen. is d- delicious. He's cooking. Mm. That's right. It, it disguises the smell. All that ground cumin disguises the smell of my rotting flesh. Oh, God. Yeah. How long is it until someone comes looking, do you think? Well, this is the question. Mm. Yeah. week? A month? A year? <laughs> I mean, I hope not a year. I, I hope not a year. I hope my lack of, like, WhatsApp voice yeah. memos, like, at least gives someone an idea that there's something amiss. A but um, a week, yeah, maybe a week. It's scary, isn't it? It's scary. Oh, it's scary stuff, and it happens every day. You drown yourself in chili oil every day. Yeah, you'd be surprised. But, um, are you scared of death? Do you worry about it? Yeah, I do, actually, yeah. I worry about it a lot. I think I worried about it a lot more. I used to worry about it a lot more, and um, I had to talk to therapists about it who recommended this book that I never read, <laughs> um, which maybe I should. <laughs> what was the book? It was called The Meaning of Life. Um, okay. a collection of writings of philosophers and people and it was, it was all it was all kinds of different ideas of 
that people have had over the years about what life means and why you shouldn't feel that bad about dying. And, and I don't think it's what I wanted. I just wanted one clear sentence rather than lots of ideas and lots of words. Just one <laughs> sentence. One definitive. Don't, yeah. Well, don't worry, please. Uh, and whoever that, whoever, whichever philosopher said that. Um, but yeah, and I feel like sometimes when I'm my, my most existential, I can almost get my head round the concept of not being around, of not existing, that mm. there's some sort of, like my, my brain has hands that I can almost get my, my head around the idea of it. But, uh, and that gives me almost a kind of, I mean, this is, I mean, yeah, it, it does get me panicky sometimes. So I yeah. guess I do have a problem with it, but it's fine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But did, yeah. you said you said you used to worry about it more. Do you, do you think something changed? What changed? Do you worry um, about it a bit less? <clears throat> or don't you? I don't know. I think maybe the therapist that I had at the time helped with it. And um, I've just had ones that I had one that would, I had one last year that I was, because I was trying to find a new one who mm. had COVID. We were doing it all on Zoom. And um, he had COVID for the whole like for ages, but didn't stop seeing patients. He was really, really ill. Like, oh I mean, that wasn't why I stopped um, seeing him as a therapist. He was. He would say things like, um, well, it sounds to me very much like uh, the tears of a clown. No. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, well, don't talk to no. me like that. No, that's awful. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, isn't it? That's not <laughs> therapy. <laughs> what an awful um, thing to say. One therapist compared me to Norman Bates. I shouldn't be saying this, maybe, but I don't know. I'd please, but, please tell but, me a bit more about the Norman Bates comparison. Well, she just said that. Oh, you, you know what your um, story reminds me of. Um, <laughs> it's such an overshare, but she, but she said, yeah, Norman Bates. That is like, wild. One of the most troubled protagonists in all of cinema. Sorry, just to be clear, you mean the title of the film that the character is in is Psycho. Psycho. And you are my therapist. <laughs> you are saying, I remind you of Psycho. Exactly. Um, wow. Yeah, should have been wearing the wig and dress and all that. <laughs> and you would just go down to but I wouldn't hurt a fly. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, but, de- but death, but death, uh, it does trouble me. It calms me down looking at pictures. Of, you know those Hubble Space Telescope pictures? Yeah. They on, I look at those on Instagram. That calms me down, actually. Yeah, Getting that kind of, Like, it, it really, nothing matters. It's all fine. Matters. We all die. It's not just a trick that's been pulled on me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you um, think anything happens after you die? I'm going to say no, just based on, you know, evidence. But um, well, I guess what I mean by that is the argument that we've already been dead for ages, mm. so we sort of know what that's like. But yeah, I, there, there's definitely an argument for saying we we don't know, and there's a lot of weird shit about. So who knows? Maybe you know at the end you do, and you know you hope that there's a kind of return to the universe element to mm. death, that there is some sort of consciousness. But I doubt it. <laughs> Um, oh, you got me. I'm wrong. There's a heaven. Oh, shit. You donut. Egg on my dead face. They were all watching this video as you were arriving. They're like, fucking hell, this guy. 
Anyway, you turn up at heaven. They're delighted to see you. Um, mm-hmm. God's a big fan of your stand-up. And he's like, are you going to do a gig? Come in. you going to do a gig, friend? And you're like, the same oh, stuff. Is this, is this heaven? This, I mean, this happening anxiety. Uh, it's filled with your favourite thing. What's your favourite thing? Crisps. It's filled with crisps. It's made of crisps. The walls are made of crisps. The chairs are made of crisps. It's not as uncomfortable as you'd think. The seats are like giant Pringles inverted. So you sit and you've got your arms on the on the giant Pringles. Do my um, arms get sort of salty? Yes, but you're licking them. Right, you lick them. It's your favourite thing. And uh, the beds are made of crisps and all the breakfast, lunch and dinner is crisps. I feel like um, heaven's mis- misunderstood what I like about crisps because I don't like I don't like rubbing crisps all over my body. What I like right. is eating. Well, when you filled in the form, you probably should have specified because it's mostly <laughs> the showers are made of crisps and crisps come out of the shower head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Hey. Uh, well. But in this heaven made of crisps that you asked for, they are obsessed with film. They want to know about your life through the medium of film. And the first thing they ask you is, what's the first film you remember seeing, Daniel Rigby? Pinocchio. Ooh. Mm, which uh, we saw at the cinema. I mean, my memory is so hazy of my entire life, not just yeah. my childhood. So this is really clutching at straws. But um, my brother confirmed that it was Pinocchio, which must have, well, that was made in like the 40s, wasn't it? So it must have been. Yeah. So you're older than I thought. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just remember sitting in a chair, doing that sort of, lolling i was definitely sleeping for most of it because i was doing that lolling like back of the car child sleep where your head down and jerks up i remember that and maltesers but yeah it was pinocchio where were you where where was this happening it would have been in stockport it would have been um a cinema in stockport which i think was called the davenport cinema which was down in the center of town is it just you and your brother i've got two younger brothers you're the eldest i'm the eldest yeah Chief, what's the, um, the age ages age gaps? Oh, this is good. I, I I'm 39. My brother's 30. He's 37, and the one below that is 87. So he's he's 35. Right. So it's a quite consistent situation going on there. What from the parents' point of view yeah. in the early 80s? Yeah, there was a consistent. Yeah, yeah. there's a consistency to when we're doing this. When we're having sex. Regular factory line yeah. of children in the early 80s. This one's out. This one can sit, get on top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do they, do they, um, do you look up to your brothers? They look up to you? Yeah, I look up, I look up to my brothers. I bloody love them. I mean, it's three uh, boys as well. So when we were growing up, mm. we would beat the living shit out of each other. I mean, we fought so much that my dad at one point cleared furniture in the living room to make a kind of ring for us to fight in so that we would yeah so that we could just thrash out and of course we're like we're like no we don't we don't want to fight now but yeah we we absolutely yeah i feel bad for it now because i think i was a bas- as the eldest i was a real bastard mm-hmm. to you know to them both so uh you know sorry about that if you're listening um but but we we're now we're sort of all best buddies that's very nice and when nice, you went yeah. to the to the to see Pinocchio, did you do you remember thinking, "Oh wow, I want to do this. I want to be a wooden boy." <laughs> uh, I don't remember thinking I want to be a wooden boy. 
I remember thinking about Maltesers mainly. <laughs> okay, what is the film that made you cry the most? Do you do you are you a crier? Yeah, you crying yeah, I am. in front of people. Yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind just sobbing in front of other human beings. It's me. I quite, like, I quite like it. <clears throat> no, I don't like it. But I'm, I'm a, fair, <laughs> a fairly easy crier. I mean, the 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 film that I remember ripping my heart out and putting it in its mouth and smushing it down and shitting it out was Grave of the Fireflies. Which, uh, Studio Ghibli, Ghibli? Ghibli? Yeah, absolutely. That film is... Uh, I don't know whether films that sad should exist, but it's a beautiful film. I mean, it, but it's just so unbelievably sad. And the colour purple as well. I remember that when I was... My mum had that on VHS. I remember that being an early cry early film cry. I don't know how old it was actually. Probably shouldn't have been watching it. But um, yeah, m- and most recently the re- I saw a documentary about called The Rescue, which is about those, have you seen it? No, it's funny. The, um, the for, for listeners who like Ted Lasso, the writer's room, Ted Lasso, Bill Lawrence is so obsessed with The Rescue and he was trying to make everyone watch it and no one watched it. And then one by one on our sort of group thread, Every day, one a day, someone's going, I've just watched the rescue. I can't believe it. Bill was right. And Bill's like, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill's right. Bill's right. Yeah. It's an amazing story and just had me in bits because there's a lot of shit about, isn't there? Mm. Like we're wading through so much shit. And then you see this story, which is about hundreds of people from all over the world getting together to save 12 boys uh, who they've never met and they don't know. And it's just like mm. human beings at their absolute best. And there was something about that that just, um, yeah, destroyed me. I like that. I like that a lot. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. What's the film that scared you the most? And do you like being scared? Yeah, I think I think occasionally I do uh, like being scared. Yeah, but um, I don't know whether my feelings on it are evolving because I don't know. Recently, I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time, which I've never seen, oh. and I just thought, why? Do, why? At the end of it, I just thought, why does this exist? I don't understand. I didn't understand why it existed because those horror films were quite often in horror. It's a genre where there's no redemption everyone's either dead or mad at the end and covered in blood and screaming. And you think, what? How, how's this taken me out of my life? Made me feel better. I hear you. I hear you. And I think... Yeah? Sexist Chains of Massacre is particularly, like, it's horrible. This is just a really horrible, horrible. unpleasant time. But 
I think there are lots of other horror films. It's, it depends on the type of thing it is. I agree with you. I don't like the really blink, just fucking isn't everyone, everything horrible type film. But like yeah. The Conjuring, it's good fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't mind The Conjuring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like The Human Centipede or Saw or Hostel or those ones that are just yeah. like people obviously having the darkest parts of their shadow minds tickled. And you think, well, oh, you know, fair enough, but absolutely maybe not for me. Um, but I remember the film that scared me the most was be- we didn't really have, and I, you know, listen to the podcast. I know that this is a bit of a theme, but we didn't really have restrictions on, on what we could watch as far as I can remember. And we watched Amateurville horror part two, which was right. a film where a um, man becomes possessed and murders his entire family over the course of two hours. <laughs> And we were terrified. And around the same time, we watched Child's Play as well. Yes. My brother just below, so middle child, he had Mm. loads of stuffed toys. And it was a real source of psychological torture, pretending to him that they've come alive after we'd seen it. (laughs) (laughs) He wants to fight you in the ring Dad's made. Yeah. He wants to fight you. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, those, those were the big... Amateurville Horror Part 2, gosh, yeah, I still remember, still remember that. It was also around the time we saw Ghostwatch. Did you see that on TV? Oh, my God. Ghostwatch stays, if you saw Ghostwatch, you'll never forget it. Yeah. Never forget it. Didn't didn't the people, like, top themselves after watching this? I saw that. Maybe that's apocryphal, but... but, I think that might be part of the legend of Ghostwatch, that people ended their lives because they were so scared. Yeah. And it was also, my my mum really believed believes in ghosts so she would talk about them all the time and scare the shit out of all of us like she's seen ghosts she said she had yeah please tell me well um well i think she'd said that she'd seen her mum my nana Mm. and um she said that my youngest brother had seen our granddad just before he died which isn't a ghost is it that's just coming round (laughs) (laughs) saw granddad today spooky He seemed well. <laughs> After you. Um, That's amazing. And she always used to say, which I don't know where it comes from, I don't know whether you've ever heard this, but her way of saying goodnight was quite spooky. She would always say, goodnight, God bless, see you in the morning with God's help. Which as a kid, you're thinking, why do I need the intervention of the Almighty? Yeah. See me tomorrow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> which is quite a spooky way to say goodnight yeah. to your kids. <laughs> Good night. Um, See you in the morning if it shall yeah. be. If the creator of the universe decides that you can get up. But <laughs> it's out of my hands now. It's with him <laughs> or her. Wow. Mm. What's the film that you love? It's not critically acclaimed. Most people don't even like it, but you love it unconditionally. This is one from the childhood mm-hmm. and it's Batman Forever. That is a really, really good answer. It's a really good answer. I loved Batman Forever. And I know it's not good. (laughs) I can see what they're trying to do with it. It was going for real, you know, comic strip type feel. But uh, but at the time I was obsessed with Batman, was obsessed with with Jim Carrey. So it ticked Mm. a load of boxes. Um, So it was a favourite film of mine for ages. Also, it was the time, it was the the time, 
of life when I was coming out of every film at the cinema and going, that's my favourite film. <laughs> Just saw The Cable Guy. That's my favourite film. Me <laughs> too. Me too. <laughs> the thing with Batman Forever, it's got that, that thing that happens sometimes in films where it's so manic. Everyone's performance is so manic and the camera's so manic and everything. Everyone's going, hee, 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 ha, ha, ha. And it's sort of like... No one's quite sure what they're meant to be doing. And they've just been told, go big, go big, go big. And everything's yeah. mental. And you're like, this is, it's quite, I imagine now it's, it's quite annoying. It's like an annoying watch, like, calm down, everyone. What are you all doing? Yeah. Apart from to- Tommy Lee Jones, who looks just sort of vaguely annoyed that he's there. And didn't he say to Jim Carrey, oh, God, what's the quote? I read something that he hated Jim Carrey. I know. And said something to him like, I find it impossible to sanction your buffoonery. Well, some, some incredibly dry, <laughs> like, put down. As there, as he stood there, sort of, with half a purple face and half a leopard skin suit. <laughs> yeah. Great. Really forever. good answer. You can have that. On the other hand, what's a film that you used to love? You loved it, and you've watched it recently, and you've thought, oh, no, that is not for me. It's actually one I've not watched recently. Sorry about mm-hmm. that. But, um, and it's another Jim Carrey film, Who Was My Idol? But it's probably Ace Ventura, because I'm just remembering bits of it and thinking I probably wouldn't um, do very well watching it now. Uh, and I think, if I remember right, it's got a powerfully transphobic uh, finale. Yes. yes. Yeah, the whole so, film builds to a horrific transphobic joke, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't really hold up. Do you, as a Jim Carrey fan... Mm. Sanction the buffoonery of uh, Jim and Andy, the documentary film. Mate, uh, that was hard to watch that as a... Because I am a massive fan of his, but Mm. I I watched that and thought... I mean, just because you have... As an actor, you have empathy with everyone that he's working with, going, if you're working with this person who's... A nightmare. Absolute nightmare, who's evidently in the grip of some sort of psychotic break, then it just makes working impossible. And it makes Mm. the pull of gravity all about him about th- there's no way that the the collaborative process can happen in in anything but a sort of skewed way i just i just felt for everyone who was working with him i thought it was mental but i but i don't understand like method acting i mean i get why it's uh because that's been in the it's been a bit of chat about that recently isn't it because of jeremy strong and uh, apparently he's very unusual in method and i understand if you need to as an actor if you need to have tools or psychologically put put exercises in place that give you the license to make certain decisions or give you a kind of courage in a mm. certain scenario. But with method acting like that, I can't. I, there's something at the root of it of be, becoming another person, which is ultimately you you can't. If you've become, say, if you're Daniel Day Lewis and you've become Abraham Lincoln, why is Abraham Lincoln allowing himself to have makeup applied? I, <laughs> and what I 100% agree. I always imagine in There Will Be Blood, if he's in character the whole time, why isn't he spending the whole film going, what's that, what's that machine? Yeah. <laughs> why are you shouting action? All of these magic sticks <laughs> capturing my voice. Why are you asking me to say the same thing again? I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, Jim and Andy blew my mind, blew my mind. And and is there any chance that the documentary itself is a prank? It just doesn't. It's too convincing, isn't it? The documentary itself is a prank? Yeah. No, well, gosh, yeah. It's too... That would be so elaborate. It's very elaborate. 
And you know what makes me sad about the Jim and Annie thing is I did find it really like, <laughs> and I love Man on the Moon. I love it. I think it's a yeah. fucking great film. Right. And it's a shame it was such a nightmare for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. Just remember that bit where it sort of tips over into something which is really, I found unpleasant, which was, which which might have been helpful to the people involved, but from an outsider's point of view, I, f- I, th- I felt was a bit exploitative and a bit unpleasant, which was he's doing like this kind of role play exercise with actually Andy's relatives. Remember that bit where he's actually sort of playing Andy with the family yeah. i just think that's just a, a scenario that uh can't understand yeah i i i truly agree and i you know there's that story of dustin hoffman slapping meryl street just before a take mm. to, to get her into it mm. and her being like i'll <laughs> i'm i'll take care of myself you don't need to hit me to get me where you think i need to be i'll get myself there. you know what i mean like it's yeah it takes away everyone else's agency in it. It's like, I'm, I was just going to act. I don't know. You can you can smash your head against the wall if you need to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, here we are. What? <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> what is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but because the experience you had around seeing the film will always make it special to you, Daniel Rigby. Very special film to me because I always remember watching it with my brothers when we were kids and it brought us so much joy and we must have watched it hundreds and hundreds of times uh, is Drop Dead Fred. Uh, that's very you, that film. Oh, is it? That makes, very, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was just just a joy. I just loved that film. Rick Mail's hilarious. I mean, I've not seen it in a, in a while, but it was totally, yeah. and it's all like very puerile. It's all puking and farting, and but I love that stuff. Lap it up. Hog at that trough. Give me that puke and fat. Give me that um, puke and that Lapping it, lapping it, lapping it up. <laughs> what is the film you most relate to? I don't know. I, I keep I sort of keep harking back, really. I think a film that I related to a lot on a very superficial level, because I was called Daniel and I did karate, was uh, Karate Kid. Wait, wait, wait. You did karate? Yeah. Used so to do you karate. could really fight your brothers? So I could really, yeah, do very slow um, arm movements in several different directions in front of them, which is all I learned. <laughs> um, and the reason I stopped doing karate was because I got mugged outside the dojo, or as it was also known, Stockport Leisure Centre. No. I got, I got mugged waiting to pay for my yellow belt. No. They took the money off me that I was going to pay for my yellow belt in karate with. So. Ah. And I thought, well, this isn't working. <laughs> that is, you couldn't make it up. You couldn't make it up. <laughs> you couldn't make it up, Daniel. You could not no. make that up. If and you I had, I'd say, I'd say, don't make that up. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'd say I haven't. Get off my back. <laughs> uh, did you? Did you? Did your teacher like not not charge you? Were they like fair enough? Sensei, uh, sensei, sensei Gary. Sensei. Um, so it's a go go. No, no, no. Of course, you don't owe us for the belt that didn't work. Um, I think, oh gosh, I've got a vague memory of going inside and saying, I can't pay for the belt. Some boys took my money and hit me. Oh. And um, yeah, I think they just got like, I think it took my bike as well. And oh, I, think, I, think, I think my mum my just had to come and pick me up. That's a good story. How old were you? I, was doing, I would have been 12, 11, 12. That's really upset me, actually, that story. 
Really Would you want to take a break? Yeah. Can we? We can take Just a break. Take a minute. This will cheer us up. What's the sexiest film you've ever seen? Yeah, I thought about this one and then I had one answer and then another answer came rushing out of my subconscious. What was the first one? The first one was The Mask with Cameron Diaz. When, 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 when I first saw Cameron Diaz in The Mask, yeah. that... I'd Very never seen anyone or any piece of art so beautiful as Cameron Diaz in The Mask when I was a kid. Yeah. But the sexiest film I think I ever saw was at a time of my life when I was sneaking downstairs to watch Cable, which was all fairly new. And um, in amongst the little snippets of uh, topless darts on live TV. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Topless <laughs> darts, I forgot yeah. about that. The greatest film really in the UK. <laughs> It truly was another time, wasn't it? Um, it really was. Liked it. And the bouncing, bouncing weather little person. Right? Mm, yeah. But it was like proper dart. It was just like darts games that would go on for as long as a dart. It was a proper darts game. and just yeah. just happened to be beautiful women who were half naked. Um, and they weren't bad. They weren't bad at the darts. Excellent at darts. Yeah. Excellent at darts. That's why I watched it. There was a film that I can't remember which channel it was, but, but Naked Souls, which was an erotic thriller. Star always a good genre, always yeah. a classy genre, which starred Pamela Anderson and David Warner. Oh, great. I wrote down the description of the film. It's an artist tries to rescue her scientist boyfriend who has switched bodies with an evil elderly genius. <laughs> it's, that's an erotic setup right there. Right there. That gets me going. <laughs> It gets me going right there. But, yeah, I just was also obsessed with um, Pamela Anderson. I had a postcard of Pamela Anderson under my bed, which was, uh, it wasn't particularly explicit or anything. It was just of her with a tasteful a tasteful nipple on display. And I kept it under my bed for, like, a talisman for years. Just, just the one? Just one. Just one solitary postcard. That was it. It was my, yeah, a holy Beautiful. relic. Beautiful. But, yeah, Naked Souls, which was absolute. I mean, I remember even at that age, thinking it was absolute dog shit as a film. <laughs> <laughs> but still the sexiest film ever made. David Warner's but, a classy, classy actor. He's like done, he's like a proper... What, David Warner from like The Man With Two Brains? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's in Naked Souls? Is I, he I the elderly he, evil genius? He's the elderly, yeah, yeah. He's the elderly evil genius. Well, I'm sold. Great. Naked well, Souls it is. Copy. Thank you. <laughs> Um, there's a subcategory to this question mm. Troubling boners, worrying wide-ons Film you found arousing That you thought maybe you shouldn't have found arousing I struggled with this question I mm. think a lot of people do Because there's, there's, there's shame inherent in it, isn't there? Yeah. And uh, I, I can't remember a troubling boner I can remember a troublesome boner okay. I can remember a mischievous boner A meddlesome boner <laughs> I'll take troublesome boner, But I can't remember <laughs> I can't remember a troubling one. Okay. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, I guess that's quite kinky, but it's not troubling. Fuck, I mean, come on, that's... That's, that's that. a pretty that's mainstream just, boner, isn't it? That's a, that is a solid, proud-to-be-there boner. Yeah. That, is, that's a, un, that, that boner's not asking any questions. Yeah, that is a no-qualms boner. That boner's like, sorry, did someone say Catwoman? I'm sorry, I'm late. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not having that, no, I'm sorry. Okay, fair play. Do you have an alternative? If you said the penguin. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know. It's it's all just really obvious stuff. It's all you know drawings, you know, you know drawings that you've got bonus for, which I think is the that's you know, okay, Jessica, that kind of thing. But but yeah, what about um, you know Maid Marian in the Disney Robin Hood? Mm. Fox, Foxy no, Fox. No, she no. never she never got it up for me. But but I know that um, Robin stimulated a lot of um, female friends of mine. Mm. He did, he did tremendous work amongst most of our peers, actually. Yeah, I think that's it's a trope, isn't it? Yeah. So you've got nothing for this one because you're, and you know what? I'll accept it if you're if the reason is you have no shame in any of your bonus. Mm. I think that's very psychologically healthy. <laughs> I just like what is the, I, I feel I feel like I have, I'm quite serene about my bonus. That's great. Yeah, I'm quite zen yeah. about them. Listen. For you, I've, I'm inventing a category that most zen boner. Most zen boner. <laughs> Lovely zen boners. Objectively, what is objectively the greatest film of all time? Okay, Vertigo is one that I've got. Okay. But it's not one that's like a massive, I mean, I loved it when I saw it, but it's not like a massive favourite of mine. But that's the, the question. It, it might not be a favourite. It's like right, right, right. greatest yeah. work of cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Vertigo, I think uh, Doctor Strangelove. Yes. Which I've got bias towards because I love it, but I think also could be up there. Blade Runner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. I've got issues with Blade Runner, but okay. sure, it's your What's your issue with Blade Runner? My issue with Blade Runner is the incredibly weird sexual assault scene that's played like a love scene. Oh, yeah. I've forgotten about the sexual assault scene. Really, really weird. Sean Young says, let me go. He goes... To tell me you want me. She says, I don't want you. He says, tell me you want me. She says, I don't want you. And then he grabs her and kisses her and then a saxophone plays. Oh, yeah. He's scrap like... Blade Runner. <laughs> Sorry, I'd forgotten about that. Very um, yeah, so probably Doctor Strange Love Vertigo. Yeah, you can have it. What is the film you could or have watched the most over and over again? The film I've watched over and over again is Goodfellas. Yes. I watch yes, it like... Daniel. Really regularly, yes. I think I don't know what that says about me. You've got incredible taste. No, tells you know what's good for you. It's an amazing film. Let's put that in the the greatest film of all time. Yeah, okay. It could be that. Shit. Let's not be too negative here for too long. What's the worst film you ever seen? Well, um, yeah, Naked Souls, starring Pamela Anderson and David Warner, was a film that was so bad it almost stopped me wanking. So even your meditating Zen boner was like, mm, yeah. mm. I'm finding it difficult to stay present. Can we switch back over to the topless darts? <laughs> um, <clears throat> naked so. Naked Souls is definitely up there because it is was I, I just remember even at that age and I was in prime, you know, mm. it was prime time wanking time, <laughs> as they say, and um, it was even then. With with that with the hormones clouding my judgment, I was still like, "This is absolute dog shit." Also, I I don't get Bond. Wow, here we go. Talk to me. Well, well, not that they're the worst films that I've ever seen, but mm. I regularly watch them. And you know, if they're on, I get what the appeal is in terms of adventure and macho and a bit of diversion. But I don't get why people take them so seriously. And there was mm. one. What's the one where there's a man who sort of inflates and then floats up to the sky and then bursts like a balloon. And it's just like, it's just the, 
most awful special effect. I can't remember the name of the, the film. But, is that um, not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Is that not what he's divided? <laughs> no, it's, not that one. it's like some trap and it's, Roger, it's a Roger Moore Bond right. film. It's probably a Moonraker. Right. I think it's Moonraker. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of that, there's this just terrible. I just don't, I don't. Also, that even in the, because what you were describing there about Blade Runner and the problematic gender dynamics, yeah. it's kind of with Bond. I think even at the beginning of, beginning of one of the recent films, Daniel Craig's like shot this character's husband and like slaps her and then they're making it. Oh, yeah. Her. Yeah. So Bond is something that I, I don't get in the way that some people get. And people obsess over it in a way that I don't. I don't really, uh, I could, you know, really like chin scratching. What does this mean? And that mean? And the themes of yeah. it, it's just a bloke with a load of like weird watches and lasers, like blowing people up. Like it's just, it's not a serious. The man with the weird watches and pumps, air pumps. Yeah. What is the, listen, you're in comedy, you're award winning for it. What's the film that made you laugh the most? Uh, I, I think you probably had this answer before, but Team America, World Police. Yeah, really, really made me laugh. Really um, the bit where he's the insistence gag, where he's throwing up, and just never. <laughs> I remember just hurting, laughing from it, and it goes again, and it's just the laughter's just took took over my body. Yeah, and South Park the movies. I mean, I'm such a big fan of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I think yeah, they're, they're amazing. So. Yeah, those those films, and there's there really obvious ones, like, you know, Spinal Tap and Best in Show, Catherine O'Hara's brilliant bit of physical comedy in that, which I don't know if you can remember, where she sort of hurts her leg, and I've got no idea how she does it, but she does the weirdest walk that's ever been committed to film away from the camera, with just one leg just wobbling ever so slightly. Every time she steps on it, it's just absolutely incredible physical comedy, which is amazing. And... Um, do do uh, does Derek and Clive get the horn count? Because that that was like a documentary. That was a film. I'm going to give you that. Okay. That's really good that you brought that up. It's never been brought up before. Okay, it's quite it's, disturbing. It's... Derek and Clive get the horn. I love 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 Derek and Clive. But if you haven't seen it, it's a, like a film of the rec- recording of a Derek and Clive album, and it's at their lowest, darkest. That's the last one, right? And yeah. Peter Cook is being fucking horrible, Stanley Moore. Being and weird and misogynistic. And yeah. why I have offered it. Because I just remember that watching Dudley Moore doing specifically the mother sketch in that, yeah. which is something I've always loved listening to it on CD. <laughs> and um, just laughing so much at that. But also as, a, as, an, as the whole thing, you know, it is a weird study and a very specific time in their relationship yeah. where it's so toxic and clearly that toxicity is bubbling out in all kinds of strange ways and peter cook's being very unpleasant at times so so it's not it's not laugh a minute and doesn't he make it doesn't he make a joke about cancer and it was just after dudley moore's mum had died of cancer it's very weird he's really trying to upset him yeah there's a slight sociopathic kind of joking about about um cancer yeah and she'd she'd just been diagnosed hadn't she and yeah something like that and he also says at one point they, they bring in a sex doll there's all this kind of weird yeah. like 70s chauvinistic like pranks and one of them is an actual stripper comes in and he pretends to be a vampire peter pretends to be a vampire and sort of engulfs her at one point in a very 
inappropriate mm. and unusual way. And then at one point they've, there's a sex doll in there and uh, Peter Cook says, well, like most women, she's best when she's blown up. Like, what is going on with Because I think he'd just gone through a divorce. Like he, his divorce had just happened or he was just getting divorced or he was in a terrible place. And Dudley Moore was a movie star then and Peter Cook was very jealous, I believe, and also just couldn't understand why is mm. this guy a movie star and I'm not. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thing. Yeah, he'd just sort of done Arthur, hadn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And Dudley Moore tried to get it, Darren Glove get the wrong band, I think. He didn't want it to come out because he knew yeah. it was very unpleasant. Very interesting, weird film that. Do you know who directed that film? I believe it is the same director as the man who made Highlander. Really? Yeah, what a CV. I've never seen Highlander. But it's the obvious uh, follow-up to Darren Glove at the Horde. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah, what's going on there? How's he gone from? Yeah. Wow. Highlander. Is Highlander good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It's about an immortal um, Scottish uh, man. Yeah, there can be only one, which is why there are many sequels. Mm. Yeah, he's Scottish and he's played by Christoph Lambert. It's good fun. Oh, and there's an, a story about the making of it. I don't know if it's true. The legend is Sean Connery was paid like, Sean Connery was very difficult on it and had got his fee to like, let's say a million a second of screen time or something. Sounds reasonable. And the story is that like, he was so rude to the direction. The director was like, we just need to swing your sword around your head or something. And that Sean Connery, as he was swinging it around his head, was going, one million, two million, <laughs> three million, four million. Yeah. Wow, that's a flex, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Literally with a sword in your hand, shouting how much money you're earning. <laughs> Danny Rigby, you have been an absolute delight. I have loved this. However, when you were alone in your house, you'd, you'd pulled the banister out of the wall, left a lot of holes in the place. And actually that turned out to be a good thing because it meant that people could hear what was going on through the walls. You are in your kitchen, you were cooking, love a bit of cooking. You had a bowl of crisps. While you were cooking, big bowl of crispy, you were just rubbing them over your face, just <laughs> for the comfort. <laughs> rubbing them on my arms, getting ready for on your arms, <laughs> as you always do with your crisps, and uh, just get, make sure the salt is all over your arms. And you're cooking up this chili, chili old, chili old thing, and um, you had your socks on. You're always wearing socks around that house, and it's quite shiny floors. And you um, you slipped over slipped over in your socks and you pulled the pan of uh, stew towards you and the chilli, the pan perfectly suctioned onto your face and you couldn't pull it off and you were suffocating on burning chilli. And um, it took, I'd say, two hours for you to fully die. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, but you couldn't make noise because it created a vacuum with this pan. Mm. Anyway, a week went by and I was like, I've got a gig I'm going to get uh, Daniel to come and close the gig for me. Uh, he'll enjoy that. And uh, so I text you on WhatsApp and I go, Thank God I'm dead. <laughs> I go, do you want to come do this gig? You don't reply. I go, of course you're not going to reply. Scared of stand-up. So I keep replying. I go, only joking. I just meant for a drink. And then I go, oh, he hasn't replied to that. I don't think we've had a falling out, have we? Is he all right? And then I go, hey, man, are you all right? And it's seriously, we don't have to see each other. Just check it in. No word. And then I go, uh, I've got Dr. Strange, love. Nothing. And I go, naked souls, nothing. And I'm like, oh, shit, I bet. I go, Team America, nothing. So I come around your house, I bring a coffee, and you know what I'm like. And there you are. I, and you can't get in, so I go on the neighbours. I go, is, is, is you have from Daniel? They go, actually, there's a hole here. You can look for it. And there's a hole from where you pulled out the banister. 
and we look through and there's your rotting corpse smelling delicious because of the chili mm. we kick down the door i come in it's a fucking mess maggots cockroaches mm. kidney beans boxes <laughs> mess i do what i can mm. The neighbour helps me. We chop up your body into loads of little pieces. Chop it up, chop it up like a young... And, and your neighbour says to me, do you know who he always reminded me of? And I go, who? And they go, Norman Bates. <laughs> I, go, <laughs> I go, yeah, similar vibe. Anyway, we, we pile you up with the chilli, get you in the coffin. It's absolutely rammed. It is rammed. Rammed in there. Rammed. There's only, Why haven't you called anyone? Uh, I don't know, just getting on with it. Like you said, just yeah, do it. Like, otherwise, we're going to procrastinate too much. So I'm like, how do I... And there's only enough room in this coffin for, for me to slip one DVD into the side for you to take across to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. It's movie night and crisp night. And one night is your movie night. What movie are you taking to show the people of heaven when it is your movie night and crisp night? Movies and crisps, Daniel Rigby. Which film? I'm going to take one of the greatest film musicals of all time, South Park, the movie. Great. Great, great mm. time. People in heaven are going to love you. Mm. Daniel Rigby, what a pleasure. Is there anything you'd like to tell people to look out for, to watch or to listen to of yours coming up soon? Um, I would love to tell people, demand mm. that people, um, ask people to listen to um, Isaac Steele and the Forever Man, which I've written and I've narrated on Audible, um, which is available at the moment. And it's a sci-fi comedy space romp which is a bit sort of murdery detectivey it's a bit blade runner a bit uh, alice in wonderland a bit sherlock a bit hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah it's a big mashup of loads of things that i love and i've worked ever ever so hard on it and i would love you to listen to it please not to say i'm too desperate but please please listen uh, no but yeah it's on, it's on audible now that's brilliant isaac Steele, uh, and also you will be seeing daniel t- doing a gig with me soon yeah, I would love that, actually. I would love that. Daniel Rigby, you are a pleasure. Thank you for being so open and for being so brilliant. I hope you have a wonderful death. Good day to you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was episode 182. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Daniel. Head to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, but write about the film that means the most to you. That's what we want to read about. Everyone loves it. It helps numbers and Maureen gets very excited. So thank you for that. Thank you so much to Daniel for doing the show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week for another brilliant guest. But that is it for now. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, 
BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.